Hello, and welcome to Crankcast Commentaries. I am Jake Del Mastro, as always, and I'm joined by my friend Keaton Byer. Yep. And today, we have a, a battle for the ages to share with you. Indeed, it is a battle for the ages. This is, this is two uh, fighters from <laughs> like the depths of, of, of kaiju cinema. Uh, we have Godzilla on one side versus Mecha fucking Godzilla. Ah, yes, I love Mecha Godzilla. One of my favorite characters to come out of Mecha the Godzilla, Godzilla is definitely like one of my favorite kaiju's. Uh, although I don't know if he's technically a kaiju because he's a robot and not a monster, but uh, whatever. I think I think he might count. There's definitely implications that he's like a uh, cyborg. So, you know. Right, he is actually called a cyborg. Yeah, they call him a cyborg. By, I, th- I thought that might have just uh, been like a translation Professor issue. Professor Miyajima. Yeah. Um, sorry? I thought that might have just been like a, a translation issue, maybe. Yeah. They call him cyborg it's kind of hard to they tell. Don't, they don't make any other references to him being like, um, uh, he, like actually a creature. Because also, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll, there's a lot to get into, a lot to unpack here. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, we do have a lot. Uh, like we got fucking space aliens from a black <laughs> hole planet. Uh, we got fucking Mecha Godzilla. We have uh, ancient Okinawan uh, monsters. Uh, what else we got? It keeps going. Fucking Interpol agents. Uh, <laughs> like magic uh, smoking pipes. Nothing is as it seems. Yeah, it's it's a hell of a hell of a story. So, uh, do you want to maybe give your best shot at summarizing this movie, Keaton? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Just because it's too hard. Uh, yeah, well, it's uh, it's one of the worst, hardest ones to summarize. <laughs> I think I summarized the last one, didn't I? Yeah, you did, and the one before that, and the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's your turn, man. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, so, uh, Keaton, do you want to give a shot at summarizing this movie? Oh, okay, jeez. Okay, I'm really bad at this. This is why I've been avoiding doing it every single time. So, okay, well. So, okay, so it opens with our, our two main characters are watching some sort of bizarre ritual uh, in which a lady has some sort of uh, vision where she like predicts uh, um, like the fall of the world or whatever the world gets destroyed. Yeah, by I totally forgot monster. about the ancient prophecy. Yeah, there's, there's this ancient <laughs> prophecy, and then that's kind of <laughs> yeah, ancient prophecy. Um, that's kind of shoved by the wayside. Um, and then there's a cave. They find some more prophecy stuff. They find an artifact. Oh geez, what happens next? Okay, then they take the artifact to a scientist. Um, Nobel Prize winning scientist. Nobel Prize winning Professor scientist. Professor Miyajima. <laughs> oh yeah, they also find a piece of metal. They find some metal and this artifact, and they they take it to the scientist. There's two scientists, I think, but I I forget both their names. Um, but uh, there's t- Professor Miyajima and Professor Wagura. Nice. Um. So one of them, I think, determines that the the metal is in in fact uh, space titanium. Um, Do you mean it comes from outer space? Exactly what I mean. Exactly what oh, I mean. Oh, really? That's fine. Uh, um, and then the 
other one is is the artifact is like a, a a statue of some ancient god named Caesar or Caesar. It's not very clear. Yeah, I believe it's King Caesar. It's King Caesar. That, Some, as they as they refer to him as. Sometimes I saw it spelled like Caesar. Other times it was spelled yeah. like C Caesar. So I don't really know. That's they, true. They, yeah, it's it. It's definitely very uh, inconsistent. But I mean, I don't know. I suppose that's just uh, trying to Romanize uh, Japanese yeah. characters is yeah. always a little difficult. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So so they they find the space titanium and and the the the, the uh, fetish of uh, King Caesar, um, and then they find out there, there's like all these things that are gonna like predict like uh, the the end end times or whatever like this prophecy, um, and then after a few of these prophecy things start coming true, um, Godzilla appears. Uh, I think it from beneath Mount Fuji. Um, right. And he goes on like uh he goes on like this rampage or whatever, um and then he fights some other monster. I forget the name of that monster. I already forget that. I uh, is it Gigan? No. Is it Gigan? No, no, it's no, no. uh uh what is his name? Angur Angurius. Angurius, that's his name. Yeah. Um, apparently he's that guy's usually Godzilla's ally. Um, yeah. But I okay. guess that that makes sense. We'll we'll get to why that makes sense. Um. Yeah. So this guy, who's normally Godzilla's ally, starts fighting Godzilla, and everyone is like, "What's going on? Why are they fighting?" Um, but oh, that scene is so intense too, because you have that like King Kong reference, where like Godzilla like rips uh 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 and 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 anyway, Oh, he, where he rips his jaw. Yeah, he like rips his jaw open, <laughs> and yeah. then like blood starts spurting out. It's pretty. That's like a pretty like hardcore scene right off the bat. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so, and then after killing that creature, um, what does he do? He, like, disappears or something? I forget what happens. Um, oh, no, right, yeah, okay, so he goes to, the, he goes to like, an oil refinery or something like that, and starts, yeah. like, like, tearing shit up, but then, like, another Godzilla appears, and there's two Godzillas, um, Yeah. and in the ensuing scuffle, it turns out that that in initial Godzilla was actually... Mecha Godzilla. Oh. <laughs> Mecha. Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, because you see the uh you see his skin kind of start to chip off and then you oh, see yeah, the space right. titanium that's underneath. Right. In the first in the first fight, yeah, he gets like a chip in his real skin and you can see just like a glimmer of space titanium. Anyway, that's exactly. an awesome reveal. That's an awesome yeah, that's pretty reveal. Good. Yeah, because um, I mean, yeah, you totally think it's like normal Godzilla at first. Yeah, and that's the easy part. Remembering what happens next, because uh, it gets yeah. really complicated. Have after the that. spacemen showed up yet? <laughs> no, we don't know about the aliens because we don't know about the aliens till post Mecha Godzilla, I think. Okay, right. So, so uh, what happens next? So okay, um, there's this weird fucking weirdo guy following around. Uh... Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah, he's follow. There's oh guy wait, who, did they? Guy... They already tried. They already broke in. There was already a guy who broke in and tried to steal the statue, right? Okay, yeah. So that's right. Okay, so so to get this straight, so um, <laughs> <laughs> so they got this fetish, this like totem or whatever. They bring it back to um, uh, the scientist, and then somebody tries to steal it under bizarre circumstances. So they're like, "This must be something 
significant. Um, and then the 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 uh, the scientist who is studying the space titanium, I think he comes to the conclusion that it must be an alien uh, weapon. I think he like comes to that conclusion before we actually see the aliens. Right. Wait. He thinks the statue is an alien weapon. No. 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 He thinks uh, Mechagodzilla. Mechagodzilla. Okay. Right. Because right. yeah. he's made a space titanium, so obviously he's from fucking outer space. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So then, a bunch of stuff happens. The f- they try and steal the statue a bunch of times. They fail. Um, the statue gets brought back to the shrine from the beginning of the film. Um, where the yeah. where the lady had uh, the the vision that foretold the prophecy, and then they place the uh, the 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 fetish in in its spot, and that uh, wakes the king Caesar. Well, it doesn't wake him; it exposes his hiding place in an island. Uh, well, you uh, just jumped ahead a whole. Did I skip something? Yeah, you skipped the whole aliens. This is you're at like the end of the movie, aren't you? Oh my god! Ah, oh, jeez. This is why I said I shouldn't do it. It's a disaster. Anyway, so like, just to kind of explain, it's basically just there's a bunch of aliens, uh, including a great fucking character, uh, in charge of them. Um, like the the alien supreme leader, Kuronoma, Kuronuma. I don't know. He's my favorite. Anyway, the alien though. supreme leader is like you know. He's uh just this excellent fucking uh straight out of character. a Bond movie. Straight out of a Bond movie and he's like smoking a cigar the whole time. Like I don't know if they have cigars on like the alien black hole planet, but <laughs> this guy's clearly into them. Um and he's just such a evil evil fucking character played by Goru Muts- Mutsumi uh who does a fantastic job. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and and so these aliens are like they're aliens, but then they turn into apes, like ape-like people when you hurt them. Uh, I wonder where that And the aliens are using from. Mechagodzilla to try to take over Japan and the world, I guess. Yeah, they're, they're total plans because, like, it's implied that he's not actually, like, in charge because, like, his boss is going to be pissed yeah, off yeah, of yeah. So If he doesn't manage to take over the world, his boss is going to be pissed. Using one giant robot, he's yeah, going to take over the entire world. And he's got, like, one giant robot that, like, took... I was, like, trying to do the math. It took, like, eight seconds to destroy one eight-story mm. building. Um, so, to destroy the world, how long would it take, do you think? How many eight-stories? How many stories How many stories? But that, that doesn't world. even take into context, like, the fact that, like... Would so, it be you hot? said it'd take a minute to, to destroy an eight-story building? No, it took him, like, it took him a good ten seconds. 10 seconds, okay, right. So, if it takes 10 seconds to destroy, to destroy an 8-story building, how many does it take to destroy a 1-story okay, building? So, how many can you destroy in a minute? Yeah, uh, how, many, how many buildings per minute can we do here? Uh, <laughs> so, that's about 6 buildings I, per minute. I think minute. it would be tough to estimate the number of buildings or, you know, average... Because, yeah, you can't take into account, like, yeah. size and, like, uh, uh, density... It'd be a difficult yeah because obviously certain buildings are going to be easier to destroy than others exactly yeah and like would a taller building like i mean be... if you want to like knock over the cn tower i feel like that wouldn't be too hard yeah that's what i was going to say like maybe a taller building would be easier to destroy because you could just hit the bottom floors exactly and you just knock that's a lot of stories in one go yeah i think we might be getting sidetracked um yeah so anyway <laughs> they um uh there's aliens the aliens capture them they escape <laughs> there's this interpol agent that like was a creepy 
weirdo before that and then he's like oh i've been trying to deal with the aliens this entire time and you guys just kind of got caught up in it so it's this sort of very kind of like uh weird um kind of noir aspect to it yeah again nothing Uh, is as it seems they keep like trying to pull the bait and switch and then anyway so then they go back and then uh to the cave and they they uh they bring out um king caesar who's supposedly in the prophecy supposed to defeat you missed the part where where they like kidnap the scientists to to fix mecha godzilla oh right yeah so they kidnap the scientist and force him to because mecha godzilla got disabled in his first fight against godzilla which is why i think it's a little ambitious of them to take over the entire world with one giant robot because if one godzilla could take him out in one fight then it's like okay one godzilla in one fight puts him out of commission and they can't even repair him and yeah they can't even repair him they need to bring in a spaceman who knows is there an earthman who knows space technology as they refer to him um it's a disaster it's 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 kind of messy but it's great it's really entertaining um (laughs) anyway all this shit happens and three big fucking monsters end up getting into a fight king caesar uh godzilla and mecha fucking godzilla and it's this awesome fight scene it is a and, pretty good fight you scene. know you got uh fucking mecha godzilla on wires like you know with his yeah. rocket feet and he's flying around his he's creating force fields with his head spinning he's shooting rockets yeah. out of his fingers and toes he's fucking like it's shooting lasers out and of his he eyes. kicks yeah so king caesar shows up and mecha godzilla pretty much kicks the shit out of king caesar uh, I don't know why King Caesar showed up at all, really. He his, his whole the whole prophecy plotline with King Caesar and it was so stupid and unnecessary. Like, <laughs> and it was the yeah. whole plot. Yeah, and then anyway, so then Godzilla comes in and I guess he absorbs like the electrical power at some point, which is like it's I don't know it's a weird thing. It's it's Godzilla can absorb electrical power uh and so he uses the power up to like kind of defeat uh mechagodzilla and he like he tears off mechagodzilla's head head and smashes the rest of his body with it it's great it's pretty awesome it's it's pretty awesome it's pretty awesome and so then anyway and then there's some weird deus ex machina that happens uh where some other random interpol agent who we've never seen before shows up yeah I, and like uh, defeats the Jesus aliens Christ. and he's like it was that was really weird it's like could they not get the same actor again or it's uh, like i guess he got killed in the cave i don't uh, No, he appears again i think does he okay because think... the doctor got killed in the cave or whatever and there's this really weird line about like oh shit like no, uh he didn't the doctor get killed in the cave he made it did out. he not the professor no, yeah, he made it out of the cave. Did he get make it out of the cave? I think he did. There was the I, whole line about like it's okay because your father like um yeah he your did father it. had he a final victory or final whatever victory final achievement or something yeah but no but <laughs> which then he is gets like out. does he get out? I think he does. Let me check the film here. I think he does <laughs> get out. Anyway, he may or may not survive. Uh, I don't see him at the end here. No, they because they get out. They definitely get out. They get out, and they're all standing in a circle, smiling at this statue of King Caesar, but the professor's not there. I think he died in the cave. I think he made it out. <laughs> Saving the world from Mechagodzilla, but, uh, yeah. 
because I feel like I, I remember them saying that, and then he like they showed just before that happened he got out somehow. I don't remember. It maybe okay. I don't know. We definitely we also did watch I think different different uh, cuts. Yeah. So uh, would that be a good segue into kind of talking about like the release of this movie and like um because in this movie didn't really get released in north america in like a normal way yeah well we'll do some basic facts and i think that's yeah in, some in basic there. facts so we'll, um, just, we'll just fucking jump right into it now i guess then godzilla versus mecha godzilla aka godzilla versus the bionic monster aka godzilla versus the cosmic monster uh is the 14th film in the godzilla franchise Jesus fuck. <laughs> exactly. That's, it's, That's so many movies in like not that long. No, it's really, really not. And we'll get into yeah. exactly how many movies a little bit later. Um, yeah. But it, the franchise was created by Japanese studio Toho Film or to- Toho Studios. It's produced, or me- rather, Mechagodzilla is produced by uh, uh, Tomoyushi Tanaka, uh, who is the mm-hmm. same producer as the original Godzilla film, um, with effects director. Ter- Teruyoshi Nakano. Um, mm-hmm. He joined the Godzilla crew for his third film. Um, and it's directed and co written by Jun Fukuda. Um, and this is his fifth uh, directorial installment for the franchise. Um, right. Previously, he directed. His crowning achievement. Yeah, well, it, it, in a lot of ways, it is actually. <laughs> it really is. Because uh, he, he did, he directed Ibira, Horror of the Deep in 1966 right. and then i don't know if you've seen this film it's a horrifying film uh son of godzilla no i haven't what i i haven't seen son of godzilla i'm oh, sorry okay well you... <sighs> oh. I, I will have to uh, like i mean there are there's a lot of godzilla movies i can't see them all son maybe of godzilla. i can but <laughs> just right now google son of godzilla just in okay. images um, while, uh, I, while I talk about the rest of this, everybody do it. Everybody who's listening, Google Son of Godzilla. Yeah, Google Son of Godzilla. Um, that was made in 1967, directed by Jun Fukuda. It's bad. It's really bad. Um, Jun Fukuda also uh, directed <laughs> Godzilla. <laughs> People need to look up like what the Son of Godzilla looks yeah, like. Yeah, Just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really it. important. Like, I'll yeah. wait for you. We'll wait for you right now. We'll wait. Um, <laughs> um. Yeah. He also directed Godzilla versus uh, Gajan. Um, Gigan or Gajan? Gigan, Gajan. I really don't know yeah. how to pronounce it. There's gonna be some pronunciation blunders throughout this. Yeah, whole we're episode, gonna. So if you're Japanese, like we're sorry. Yeah. Um. He also wrote and direct. Uh, wrote, co-wrote, and directed the uh the horribly panned. I don't know if you're familiar, but the horribly panned predecessor to Mechagodzilla um, called Godzilla vs. Megalon. Um, yeah, I've heard of it, yeah. It's been described as incredibly, undeniably, mind-numbingly bad. And, oh, really? <laughs> and one of the horror moments in the history of Godzilla films. Hmm. Um, and there's... It's worse than, than fucking Matthew Broderick Godzilla? Uh, that's okay. So, like, we're, or we're do, are we just talking out of the Toho movies? Yeah, we'll, we'll do. We're gonna do a brief dive into the history of Godzilla, I think, but we're gonna stay kind of within the within the realm of the the, the first Godzilla, yeah, to to the last yeah. Godzilla of that um era. 
Yeah. Um, so before we do that, we'll just do some a few more basic facts. Um, the film was released in Japan um, in 1974. Uh, it was called Gojira Tai Mecha Gojira. Um, I think they, they made it at a budget of 1.2 American dollars. Um, Wait, 1.2 million, you mean? 1.2 million, yeah. Did I just, <laughs> did I just say 1.2 American dollars? Yeah. Yeah. The low budget. Lowest budget. I mean, sometimes counted. at certain points it looks like it went <laughs> 1.2 dollars. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 1.2 dollar budget. So it was made for a budget of 1.2 uh, million American dollars. Uh, since achieved a worldwide gross of $34.1 million. Um, not bad, not, not bad, bad at all. Though about a third of that number comes from a re-release uh, of the film in Japan from like 2002. Right, um, I also feel like this like uh, was like very popular on like video rentals. Oh yeah? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously the first time I saw it was, like, I think I rented it from, like, Queen Video, like, yeah, at some too. point when I was a kid. Yeah, like, the same copy. You know? <laughs> but, totally. uh, yeah, I feel like that's the, uh, where most people have seen it. Yeah. No, you're if right. they have, yeah. I couldn't find any numbers on that, on, like, uh, video sales. Um, right, yeah. But, but, yeah, I feel like that was, like, fairly, uh, it was fairly successful on video. Probably. Yeah. Um, it didn't make it in... To, into the United States until 1977, um, and as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the film was initially titled Godzilla vs. the Bionic Monster, um, right? <laughs> which is a horrible name. Yeah, I mean, Mechagodzilla is so much more imposing sounding. Yeah, um, <laughs> it is. It sounds way cooler. Uh, but yeah. due to some 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 legal copyright issues coming from the producers of the Million Dollar Man. Uh, and the bionic they woman. Wait, oh, they couldn't use bionic. There was some. <laughs> what? They weren't. They didn't like the idea of the bionic monster. Okay, so for, but there was no actual like like legal action. I no, I don't think they I don't think they actually took any action. Okay, yeah. Um, they just you know thought maybe you know maybe we shouldn't name it this. I think they were told that they probably shouldn't name oh, it that. Okay. So then they okay. changed the name after they released it to. Uh, Godzilla versus the Cosmic Monster, which is also like, a horrible name. Although I suppose maybe correct, because like, he is from another planet. Yeah, no, it, it's not about the accuracy of the name, though. Right. I mean, I guess he is bionic as well. Again. And mechanical. Yeah, Mecha Godzilla. Like, why couldn't they just call it like if they even if they didn't like the idea of Mecha Godzilla, why didn't they just call him like I don't know. I I just like the idea because it's like okay, like you know. What's an enemy that like Godzilla would would have trouble fighting? Godzilla. Godzilla. But like you can't just be Godzilla versus Godzilla. So like what if we made like the other Godzilla like a robot like a mecha Godzilla? I'd like to see a bizarro I mean that's cooler Godzilla. sounding than Robo Godzilla. But totally. I suppose maybe that was also considered. Like even like Metal Godzilla would have been an awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um but yeah, when it was released in the in the US, it was like kind of marketed as like a children's movie. Um, mm, yeah, <laughs> it played in like I mean, fair enough. Uh, it played at like Saturday matinees, um, and in fact, there's like kind of a sentiment that like a lot of the Godzilla installments from like the '60s and '70s are more children movies. Um, I feel like you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't probably show the original Godzilla to children. 
No, it's definitely especially Japanese like there are version. some pretty horrifying movements mo- moments in that movie. Yeah, definitely, it's a horror movie for sure. I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, there's definitely a case to be made for the re- a lot of the later installments being being closer to. Well, I to mean, yeah, they movies. they got fairly silly <laughs> as time went yeah. on. Well, uh, fucking <laughs> son of Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Son of Godzilla. Also, in this movie, there's that, like, one scene where, like, it's, like, really weird and out of place. Like, Godzilla, like, misses an attack on Mechagodzilla, and he does that, like, oh, shucks, that, like, arm swing. Yeah. Like, ah, oh. <laughs> you can see him, like, snapping, like, oh, I'll get him next time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, it, interestingly, um, the, uh, the last film in the Toho run, or, the, like, the initial run, um, which ran from 1954 to 1975, was the so sequel. sort of like the the Showa era uh, Godzillas. Exactly. That's I think that's yeah. what, that's what it's called, right? The Showa yeah. era, based on was that's the the emperor, right? Yeah. So it's uh, this thing Japan does where they divide up their history based on who was emperor at the yeah, time, right? So yeah, the, the the last film in that run was the sequel to this film. Um, and it was called The Terror of Mechagodzilla. Um, and that sequel remains uh, the least financially successful film of the franchise. Right, um, so that's why it kind of killed like Godzilla for a while. Yeah, that's why it stopped. It, it only got yeah. like a limited theater run in the US, and mm. it, in Japan it, it sold less than a million tickets. Oh, really? Yeah. Jeez. Um, so, you know, they, 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 put the, they put it on hold um yeah for almost 10 years i think the next one was until like 1984 because that was that's right because it was the 30th anniversary oh okay right right um interesting now that we've like well we've mentioned the original film yeah you want to kind of dive into the uh the sort of genesis of godzilla as it were yes i think we should i think I think yeah, we I think should that's a good idea. Take a minute to talk about the history of Godzilla. Well, probably more than a minute. Um, yeah, we'll probably touch on just like uh, what the kaiju genre is in general. I mean, because I mean, I would Godzilla is like one of the original kaiju yeah, movies. Yeah, but like yeah. You also had like uh, um, what you call it, Gamera, and you had like yeah. um, also like TV shows like Ultraman and shit like that. Yeah, um, also Toho. Also Toho, yeah. Toho yeah. was was really you know raking it in. Uh, in yeah. terms of like uh you yeah, know yeah. giant Films monster marketing but yeah so um i guess the idea of uh kaiju kind of comes out of like so kaiju is essentially just a japanese giant monster movie yeah uh but basically the idea comes out of basically the american uh giant monster movies uh you know starting with king kong and like uh, uh yes and you know, getting somewhat worse and worse, uh, <laughs> you end up with some uh, pretty terrible like fifties uh, B movies. Like what was it, Attack of the Giant Claw or something like that? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. anyway, uh, and as you were mentioning to me, uh, the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Oh yeah, we'll get into that for sure. Yeah. Um. Which. So but anyway, so um, Kaiju is kind of just like a. Uh, a a Japanese kind of uh, spin on that idea, but obviously 
long after those movies became unpopular in the West, uh, they sort of kept the torch uh, burning, as it were. And so now I find it kind of interesting because there's like now in the West, there's basically no analog to what a kaiju movie is. No, not really. Um, I think like, yeah, because he I, I, I was like looking at Godzilla as kind of like separate for entity from from like the rest of Japanese uh, um, uh, monster movie culture, because he is really singular, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Like so... he is. Um very unique very like uh original very uh a very sort of cohesive brand you know what i mean yeah for sure like it's not just a monster movie it's a godzilla movie because he's got his own sort of godzilla verse although i will note that the godzilla verse occasionally like blends into other like areas of of it gets kind of there is some crossovers that it gets kind of weird later on there's like marvel comics where godzilla's in the marvel universe and then you know uh there's also actually uh, i was watching an episode of ultraman uh uh, and they used the godzilla costume as another monster in ultraman (laughs) but they like put like fish ear like they put like these weird ears on it to make it like it's not godzilla (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, anyway. so I, I think I think really there are there are two stories of Godzilla. Um there's the Japanese story and then there's like the American slash kind of Western story. And mm, okay. And, and they both offer like they both have very different perspectives. Um and I think right. and I think the difference between some of the movies are is pretty spectacular. Um yeah, and, definitely. And, and I mean, like starting with the very first movie. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get into that a lot. I think, like, yeah, to to to, to the Japanese Godzilla is like originally he's kind of a representation of like a string of very recent and horrifically devastating tragedies. Um, yeah. So, like, I guess interestingly enough, like, obviously they would have had to change it for the American audience because, like. I uh the uh the Godzilla idea is obviously comes out of some very big resentment towards America for certain things. <laughs> Difficult relationship at that time, I think, in a lot of ways. Um to to Americans, I think Godzilla was pretty much just another summer fluff yeah. popcorn movie monster. Like he he had kind of that late seventies vibe the whole time, I think. Oh um, yeah. Are we talking about in the Western Japan? Eventually in the West, I mean, I, uh, in in the West, it kind of started in the same way that it evolved to in in Japan, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like yeah, it was yeah. just like a, like not exactly as silly necessarily, but definitely more lighthearted. Yeah, definitely. Um, like eventually, as we were just kind of talking about, the two kind of Western and Japanese and Eastern perspectives kind of merged as it became more globalized and the character became kind of more uniform. Mm. Um. And that's kind of when you get your Marvels and your and your uh, crossover shit. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not. I'm really not familiar with more modern Godzilla um, stuff. Mm. I mean, I guess they had the like they had reasonably recent Godzilla movie, didn't they? Yeah, there's one coming out soon. I think. Really? Okay. There's like a remake of Godzilla versus versus Kong or something like oh, that. Oh, that can be interesting. Um, and then there was like a 2017 movie or something. I don't know. I, have you seen uh, the original Godzilla vs. King Kong? Uh, a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the 
the King Kong in Godzilla vs. King Kong looks radically different from King Kong in all King Kong movies, <laughs> but like, you yeah. Know. It's yeah. almost like different people made him. Oh, it's almost like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> let's talk about the first Godzilla a little bit. It, it, it was released in 1954 um, by... In Japan. By Toho right? Studios. In Japan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it didn't make it to the States till 1956. Right. Um, but when it... it there were many people who I'm sure were very important and integral to the inception and production uh, of Godzilla, mm-hmm. uh, the initial Godzilla. But for the sake of time, I think we should probably just um, take a, a, brief, a brief look um, at the most influential people okay. when it comes to that first installment. Um, and just before we go any further, I'm in no way a Godzilla expert. Yeah, so uh, neither am I. Like... There's a good chance... Like I, I guess like we both like really like Godzilla, but like I, there's yeah. a whole like Godzilla verse kind of that uh, I haven't yeah. had time to like really dive into. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like I, I like Godzilla, and I watched a lot of Godzilla growing up, but I um I didn't really know very much about Godzilla until <laughs> earlier this week. Right. Um. So. <laughs> so there you go, but. So the the three people that we're going to talk about um, are the special effects supervisor, uh, E.G. Suburea, mm-hmm. E.G. Suburea, um, and then the producer Tomoyuki Tanaka. Yep. And then finally the director uh, Ishiro Honda. Um, those are by far the most important names when it comes to the creation of Godzilla. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned, the, the the Godzilla story does not start with the creation of the character. The roots of the film, like so many other monster movies, go back to 1933 and the release of one of the most influential movies of all time. What, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms? No, 1933. Do you know what film? Oh, King Kong, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. That was like in the 50s, wasn't it? Yeah, 53. Yeah, King Kong. Um, King Kong. That's that's what I meant. I think for, for, for anyone who doesn't know, King Kong was so groundbreaking because of its use of stop-motion animation um, by the absolutely legendary Willis O'Brien. Who has, um, I believe, we mentioned last episode briefly. Yeah, I think we did, yeah. Yeah, yeah we did. There will be, a, actually, that's funny, there are a couple crossovers. Yeah, I mean, obviously we'll we did. I guess we're doing two monster movies in a row, eh? Yeah. I guess, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll make it a monster trilogy, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's a good idea. Next week, we'll do The Founder. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> good one. Um... Now, King Kong was not not necessarily the first monster movie. Um, even, like, Willis O'Brien himself had done other similar movies. Um, like, in 1922, he did The Lost World, based off of the, that book by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but King Kong was by far the most far-reaching and probably the best film of that era, I think. I don't. I can't think of another one that. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely the most influential. Yeah, um, which will bring us back quickly to the uh, the first creator of Godzilla, effects director Eiji Tsuburaya. Um, Tell us about Eiji Tsuburaya. He was born uh, in 1901. Um, <laughs> this is not necessarily an important fact, but I, I enjoyed it, so I'm including it. Um, Growing up, he was very interested in model airplanes, uh, and he he really had a goal of going to the danger zone. 
<laughs> do, do, do I need to... Uh... <laughs> Sorry? <laughs> the danger zone? What zone? I didn't know you still had that queued up. That's I, awesome. I still have that. It's still on the soundboard. Uh, at least at, at least the 1916 version, Japanese version of the danger zone. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he really Kenny Loggins had, had not yet conceived the danger zone, or I suppose Tom Whitlock, who actually wrote the song. No, yeah, this is, I think, a little bit before Kenny Loggins' time. Yeah. Um, anyway, flight school didn't pan out for uh for super Rea. um so he, he he got into film um and by the late 20s um he was an acclaimed cinematographer at a studio called nakatsu studios mm-hmm. which was based in kyoto cool. um when king kong uh came to kyoto um Subaraya was very impressed and he said this is a quote from Subaraya about seeing king kong he said King Kong came to Kyoto, and I never forgot that movie. I thought to myself, I will someday make a monster movie like that. I guess he did. <laughs> Indeed he did. And he was the effects uh, supervisor on the King Kong, uh, King Kong movie, so he made a movie exactly like that. Oh, yeah. In fact. <laughs> um, so that kind of, I guess, brings us to the, the, the creation of Toho Productions. Um, which was an amalgamation of several smaller kind of film firms, film pho- photography firms, um, that was amalgamated in like 1937 by a rich, super rich Japanese railroad tycoon named uh, Ichizo Kobayashi. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1938, they hired Kobayashi, uh, like Kobayashi Maru. I know. I know I <laughs> Sorry, too. I couldn't, couldn't resist. Get, get past it. Get past it. Get past it. Uh, in 1938, they hired uh, E.G. um to to head their uh, their special effects department. Okay. Um. But uh, 1938. Oh yeah, some things happened, didn't they? Was a bit of a tumultuous year on the world stage. Um for a lot of reasons yeah. and in japan there was also a lot of uh tumultuous things going on a lot in japan but essentially very t- near the next japan. few years yeah during the uh the second uh, sino-japanese war um and world war ii uh Subaraya's filmmaking expertise was utilized extensively by the propaganda arm of the japanese government uh and he produced dozens of propaganda films um, including a, an, inf- an infamous film um, about the attack on the attack on Pearl Harbor, oh. which was said to be so so technically masterful that it tricked U.S. Marines into thinking they were viewing actual footage from the attack. Really? Although, as far as I as far as I can find, that's a little more than a rumor. But yeah. It, the is... point is, they were good propaganda films. Okay. So you know that's a bit questionable. I think. Yeah. And he was blacklisted in Hollywood. Presumably for that reason. Yeah. yeah he was like, I mean, for a while, but <laughs> yeah. he, even in Japan, he didn't make really anything until the 50s. Like, he was pretty much uh, on his own for 10 years. Um, in 1940, uh, Toho Studios hired 
a business major with a theater background named uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka, uh, who we mention is the producer of Mechagodzilla, as well as uh, the first Godzilla. Um, Tanaka also would go on to produce several uh, Akira Kurosawa films um, in the 60s, and uh, he probably made a lot of money from the rights to A Fistful of Dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as we uh, have alluded to in a previous podcast. Because, uh, yeah, because Fistful of Dollars rip off of Yojimbo. What did he do? Did he work on Yojimbo? He produced Yojimbo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he probably made a good amount of money. Yeah. Next, you've got uh, director Ishiro Honda. Um, Ishiro Honda was born in 1911. He studied art at uh, Nihon University, and in 1933, he joined a studio called Photochemical Laboratory, which was one of the companies that would eventually become Toho Studios. So, I mean, yeah, Toho was, like, probably one of the biggest Japanese film studios there was, right? Yeah, definitely, I think so. I mean, at the time, it was, I think, without a doubt, the biggest. Um, I don't know about... I don't really know about its history after Godzilla. I only kind of read about it leading up right. to Mechagodzilla. I mean, yeah, it, 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 they, they've done a lot exists. of movies that, you know, especially like uh, movies that we've actually seen in the West. <laughs> yeah. A bunch of movies we've actually seen in the West, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's like... It, the wars have a pretty big effect on the people who made this movie. Um, because between 1935 and 1946, Ishiro Honda would be drafted into military, military service, like, several times. Mm. Um, and, you know, he fought in China. Right. Which, as you may or may not know, was, like, you know, probably some of the worst atrocities uh, yeah, in I'm... war occurred at the hands of the Japanese in China. Where um, he was there in the Japanese army at a fairly high rank. A lot of the stuff I read about him was like, kind of like seemed like aggressively to like, it, it almost seemed a bit revisionist in the sense that it was like, um, super heavy on the, kind oh, of swept and he it was under great. the rug or no. Well, he, it was like, Oh, he hated it so much. And he was so good to the Chinese people and he never did anything bad while he was there. It was right. like, okay, take it easy. Okay. Like you have some doubts. Um, but you know, he, he was also like promoted to the rank of Sergeant and was in charge of a comfort house in China. Right. Um, yeah. That's uh, questionable. He, I think he, Comfort House, Comfort Women, that's, I think, a topic a lot of people know about. We don't need to get into it. He wrote a book about that experience. Um, oh, okay. He, and he definitely, like, by all accounts, he was, like, pretty, f like, fucked up by his military service and, like, became kind of anti-military. Yeah. And again, I, wish... I don't really know. I just don't really know how much that is necessarily like, revisionist because he's, like, you know, a popular director. Right, yeah. So maybe people, I don't know. Anyway, by all accounts that I read, that was the way it was. But yeah, after he got back from, from Japan, he hooked up with his good friend, Akira Kurosawa. Right. Because um, they like grew up together, actually, and they were like neighbors before the war and stuff. Huh. Um, yeah, he, he co-directed a couple of films with him. 
and he actually he was a, a, a second unit director and he captured you know some some of the most iconic imagery really of post-war japan like i forget what that movie is called but it has all those shots of like the kurosawa film that has like all those shots of like uh tokyo that are like um like devastation um, i don't know who that is anyway like those were the shots that honda did like you know right okay so we'll, that brings us ahead to 1952 um because this whole time tanaka like both uh honda and uh Subureya were um pretty involved in the war effort it seems like tanaka was just producing movies at toho the whole time so i assume he was involved in some propaganda as well because toho was like even again in the book right. i read it was like toho was forced by the japanese government and like i'm sure they were to an extent but at the same time i don't know it's like well yeah i'm sure they didn't exactly have no, another no. option but it's it's it, that doesn't mean that they weren't you know complicit yeah, making you know what i mean dozens and dozens of propaganda films anyway I, this is post-war yeah. now 1952 uh tanaka produced a film called farewell rabal um which is not a notable film in for any reason besides it was the first film that had tanaka as a producer Subureya as like an assistant producer and ishirio honda was the uh director so there you go you've got the full mm -hmm. godzilla team together at last so when it comes to the inception of Godzilla, um, anecdotally, Tanaka takes full credit for the idea. <laughs> um, okay. I think it was probably, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff. The story goes. I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of like, uh, precedence to exactly. Godzilla. He's like, like, obviously Godzilla w did not exist in a vacuum. Yeah, I think the fact that he's become so iconic is kind of like the legendary status has like you know uh led to an urge to kind of want to mythologize the uh the uh story of it and i think this story is yeah definitely is kind of like this story i mean there's a lot of it that's true obviously but this story is like uh, uh kind of just a bit too perfect anyway um the story goes yeah but i mean obviously like the the idea of like a an ancient kind of like mutant lizard or something like that is it's a very yeah, old idea like many many of the ideas are not at all original like no but it's just sort of like how it was all put together exactly that sort of makes godzilla so unique yeah so in 1954 um there was uh toho and an indonesian company um had they attempted to do like a joint production film Mm -hmm. and due to like some political tensions because japan occupied indonesia for a while there was just mm. political stuff was not good between the two countries so um several japanese lead like lead actors for the film were denied uh entry visas to indonesia like when they arrived there to start shooting and like the uh the crews had already shown up and and stuff so it was like kind of this major disaster for the studio um so in this this film that they were supposed to shoot was like um a major ticket for uh for for the studio and the fact that it fell through meant that they had this like huge blank spot on their schedule um right so they needed a new film quickly and they needed a new film cheaply because they had already spent a lot of money on this other film 
um, that they didn't okay. make. Uh, so he says that it was on the plane ride back that he started playing with the idea of a monster a la King Kong, um, which played mm. off of modern fears of radiation. Um, but I think in reality, the team was more than a little bit influenced by the Harryhausen film, The Beast from 20,000 Leagues. Yeah. Uh, fathoms. Fathoms. Sorry, the beast from twenty thousand fathoms. That's twenty thousand leagues under the sea is a different. Uh, <laughs> That's a different situation. Different, different movie. <laughs> uh, did, did you watch that at all? That trailer for that film. What? Yeah, I did. It, it's it the I, the visually, it's obviously very similar. Like especially when you think of the scenes where Godzilla is like climbing out of the water. Yeah, that, in that the shot original Godzilla, where, where, like. Where his head appears out of the water, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely more than a little influenced by the beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. Yeah. Um. So, like that, it features like it, like the monsters like dinosaur like. Um. He comes from under the sea. He rampages through the streets of New York. Um. Like, not only the story, but as you said, the character design is pretty pretty similar as well. Yeah. I think everybody should go watch the trailer for that film if you're not familiar with it just to get an idea yeah um in fact the original title of the outline which tanaka wrote on the airplane um was titled the giant monster from Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea uh yeah i i <laughs> that number twenty thousand. i don't know why that's like i wonder you know, where he got that the, idea yeah and to mention but... again the twenty thousand, uh the harry hausen film um, that was 1953, so it had just come out. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm sure the name of that was also inspired by obviously the Jules Verne uh, novel yeah, Twenty Thousand totally. Leagues Under the Sea." Totally, yes. But um, yeah, I just find it interesting that, that uh, yeah, I I I, I would say that just... pretty much seals it. That like, <laughs> it, it, he he's obviously like you know, seen yeah, it's that it's movie. more than just the name. It's more than just the name. Yeah. Um. There are stories floating around that I saw about, like, the Godzilla character design and how his head is supposed to resemble, like, a mushroom cloud, um, and his scales are supposed um, to look like radiation okay. burns Maybe. or something, but that seems kind of unlikely. I think that's just, like, again, retrospectively trying to... Right. Trying to so, f- no, but I would say, like, the general, like, idea of, like, the the fear and anxiety around, like, the radiation is, like, pretty obvious if you've seen the original Godzilla. Yeah, totally it's it's like that that's a, a huge part of the story in in that film is the not only like the um effect that godzilla has while he's there but after godzilla like leaves places he like uh, the um he irradiates places and uh right yeah in yeah. the original movie people start getting like sick after he's left and and shit like so i think I th- yeah i think it's very important i think to talk now between about the discrepancy especially at the time between western perspective uh, perspectives of radiation and the japanese perspective of radiation um i think it's pretty obvious like radiation or like like nuclear weapons are well, we talking think, about specifically i think both i think both yeah i think it's pretty okay. i think it's obvious what we're getting at here <laughs> yeah I, I think it's obvious that you know the japanese might have a, a a unique angle on on this uh yeah so i i definitely think that there was 
there was obviously a lot of resentment in uh, Japan about this. Um, yeah, and like it's it it wasn't just uh, the bomb because obviously that was like uh, a, obviously a big deal. Like but I think the, it's also kind of important to note is like the fact that um, as soon as like the because the Americans occupied Japan for I think like five or so years. Um, yeah, Japan proper. Yeah, about five or so years. Yeah, uh, it's like mainland Japan. Um, um, and while they were occupying, yeah, it, they they censored um, pretty heavily. Like it was actually like if you, unless you were in like uh, Hiroshima or Okinawa or you like knew somebody or you knew somebody who knew somebody, etc. It was like actually kind of hard to like the Americans didn't allow any information to be spread about it that wasn't like an art uh, expression of art. So there's like this one song yeah. or something that was like really popular. I forget what it was called, but. Um, yeah, so it wasn't until, like, you know, the 50s when, um, when mainland Japan was no longer occupied, and they started, like, um, actually being able to kind of look at what happened, and, and the fallout people started, that's kind of, it was like a delayed effect, is trying to what I'm getting, what I'm getting yeah, at here. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, like, it was definitely a, uh, a lot of anxiety about that, I would say. Yeah, and, like, that was just, like, like... In Western, in Western post-war pop culture, radiation is like the thing of sci-fi movies and comic books, right? It's like... Yeah, I mean, not saying that Godzilla wasn't like a sci-fi kind of no, movie. No, no, no. But, but like, we'll get in, like it's, there are differences. Like, yeah, it, it, it's definitely like, uh, it was a very real sort of fear for them, obviously, because like, they lived it uh, like nobody else did. Yeah, there's, like, no really other way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, again, in the West, it's, like, yeah, radiation is, like, quirky plot device that's, like, employed yeah. by, like, overworked and underpaid scriptwriters. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and, like, not to mention, like, I would say, like, in the 1950s and stuff, like, I think there was a lot of excitement. Yeah, exactly. sort of radiation. Like, there were people, like, that would, like, in Vegas, you would be able to see, like, nuclear weapons testing from your, like, hotel room, and people would, like, gather to, like, watch these weapons tests, like, and, I mean, not realizing, obviously, that this was not a good idea. No. Because <laughs> it's, like, fallout. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of radiation. But, like, yeah, like, people were actually excited to go, like, watch, like, the mushroom clouds in the desert. And, yeah, like... it was kind of that, like, that period just before the cold war really got going exactly where it was yeah. like still pretty cool before there seemed like there was a real risk that like someone that would, would use it on us actually somebody would use it on you well, yeah not us but the americans <laughs> well yeah um like uh even more just like the the like the western idea it was like it's it's more that kind of just like it plays off the general fears of the day which is like a common a common thing you know like the difference, yeah. the difference between uh, uh, um, the original Spider-Man comics, where Peter Parker's actually bitten by a radioactive spider, um, but in like in the early two thousands incarnation, uh, Tobey Maguire is bitten by a genetically modified spider. Yeah, um, actually, I would be interested because I know that there was a Japanese adaptation of Spider-Man. Oh, really? What like uh, in like the seventies? There was a TV, sh a Japanese Spider-Man TV show, and I wonder if they made it a radioactive spider or not. That would, yeah. It, it was actually kind of interesting because it was like a kaiju Spider-Man. 
What? <laughs> That's awesome. Right, so... Yeah, Spider-Man would fight like giant monsters. That is. Oh, I've Look seen. Look up the trailer for this. Seen... You've probably yeah, seen, seen it. Yeah, yeah. From that. yeah. That is great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, in Japan, as we were discussing, radiation and its effects are very real. Um, I don't think we need to go too much into the horrific details. No, probably not. Um, um, about the But yeah, fallout. suffice to say, like, it's pretty obvious the effect this had on the original Godzilla. Yeah. And Godzilla was kind of the embodiment of, like... Like, literally, I think the idea was that Godzilla was awakened from the sea from these nuclear... But because of nuclear weapons. Yeah, he was... I think yeah in the initial film he was he was awoken by a nuclear blast and he's basically just a, a symbol for nuclear weapons the whole time. And I think even exactly. uh, Tanaka has a quote where he says yeah he's supposed to be the bomb like pretty straight up. Um yeah. And I mean obviously devastating Japanese cities like Yeah. And just before the film was released um cuz I believe it was released early March in 1954 um or maybe april it was really sorry it was released april early april 1954 um but an event that happened in uh, uh march early march of 1954 is um something less less talked about than than the, than the two nuclear blasts but pretty unfortunate devastating Horrific, event. Uh, yeah in its own right yeah. yeah for a lot of different reasons and similar reasons but it's called and i'm gonna butcher this pronunciation but here we go it's called the daofo fukuyuri maru um or lucky dragon five incident so i believe it was a bunch of fishermen that all got radiation burns like excessive radiation burns and yeah do you know uh, do you know why they got radiation burns i i can't actually remember what happened but was it because of a a test it was an american nuclear test right yeah in is a hydrogen bomb test um right okay and and so from what i recall there were some pretty horrific photographs because this was yeah after the time at which the censorship was exactly no so flying. this was like a major event like um there was the reason it was so like fucked up was because like the American government like alerted everybody that they were doing this and like they alerted Japan that they were doing this and they gave like a safe zone being like Mm. don't take your boats within the zone or you're gonna get oh did they underestimate the yield of the bomb and then it twice as powerful as they expected it jeez twice as powerful double yeah so like uh, the, the... I mean, from what I understand, like it, it, it's actually not trivial to uh, calculate what the yield of a nuclear weapon is. So just don't fucking test it. Yeah, there. Just fucking don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Don't you heard just it here don't first? Do it. Don't test nuclear weapons. Period. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, all uh, this specific boat, the the Lucky Dragon Five, all twenty three sailors aboard the ship suffered severe radiation poisoning, and apparently there was this like black ash that like floated down and like covered the boat and covered and like when it touched their skin, they got these like horrible like in like rashes and 
just yeah horrible shit and like not only that but like um one of the 23 sailors died due to complications and he's uh, like officially the first victim of the hydrogen bomb um right but not only did it like affect these 23 sailors it also potentially affected um up to a hundred other fishing boats in the area um yeah, and and not to mention the fish. <laughs> exactly. Not to mention the fucking fish. <laughs> the like irradiated fish for however many fucking yeah. hundreds of kilometers. Like Exactly. Um which presumably many of which, you know, were eaten by Japanese people and Americans alike, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um uh, but <laughs> needless to say the Japanese were very probably not happy very about it, yeah. Upset. Um, and obviously they had a pretty extreme anti-nuclear sentiment in Japan. I mean, yeah, to my knowledge, they've never, obviously they've never pursued nuclear weapons to this day. And they, like, what, disbanded their military too? They can't, they don't have enough, can't have an official military or something as well. Yeah, actually, well, there's, I mean, that's some diff- of that has to do with the American, the, the American, yeah. uh, it's, yeah. Good, yeah. World War Two politics this is complicated shit, and we we should get into <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. So we should probably move um, on, although it'll come up a little bit slightly later. Yeah. Um. So just before we get into, it, we'll we'll turn the tides a little bit in a second. Um. I just wanted to mention like the American story of Godzilla, which is much shorter. Um, yeah, we should talk about the American version, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I believe. Yeah. When when Gojira finally made it to the states. 1956 they called it godzilla king of the monsters um it was so heavily edited edited and bastardized yeah. like 40 percent of the original movie made it into the american theaters yeah um and they added like scenes as well yeah they added a whole character so they added sort of this american narrator kind of character not narrator but kind of like you know audience surrogate well he acts as a narrator he explains it to the americans yeah and so obviously, like, uh, this was the version that I first saw. Yeah, me too. Because, yeah. Um, I've actually been trying to get a copy of the, uh, the original Godzilla on Laserdisc. <laughs> but, you know, I gotta import that from Japan, so, yeah. I, and, and as you were saying, um, like, that, that's the one you initially saw. That's kind of what I was talking about. It's like, I, I wasn't actually even aware how different the movies were until I, like, saw the original one. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is a yeah, t- it's quite, totally different vibe. Quite the contrast, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they got, they got Raymond Burr. I forget what else he was in, but he's a big American yeah. actor. And, I mean, it's not like the American version was, like, bad, because, I mean, obviously, you know, it became, like, a sensation here, yeah. too, in the West. exactly. But it's like, yeah, there's definitely, like, a, a contrast between the two versions. And, like, you know how I was talking earlier about how when Godzilla, like, goes places, he, like, leaves nuclear fallout? Um, yeah, exactly. They basically cut all that out of the American version, and they like cut basically. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just because, yeah, I don't think a lot of American audiences would have been uh, receptive, receptive to the idea of this movie that essentially, yeah, is born out of a lot of resentment towards America. Yeah, it's it is kind of difficult to to do that. Yeah. Shall we move on in the uh, in the history of the Godzilla verse? Yeah. On our cosmic journey to the third planet of the black hole. <laughs> well, I was going to say, well, speaking of cosmic journeys, I was going to say to lighten the mood a bit. 
we could talk uh, uh oh. we could talk about a future where there is no nuclear weapons because there's a federation a federation a united <laughs> federation of planets <laughs> <laughs> So, welcome to the segment, Six Degrees of Star Trek, uh, where we discuss in great detail the connections between any given movie and Star Trek. We discuss in just the right amount of detail, I think. Just the right amount of detail. Um, Interestingly, this episode was a tough one. I was thinking about that. Yeah, so the two basic reasons is that, like... First of all, this movie is a Japanese movie. Yes. And the Japanese film industry sort of exists in this, uh, or existed, it's, it's a little bit different yeah. now, but uh, in, in a kind of parallel universe. Indeed. They're, they've got their own... A, a, a sort of a, a mirror universe, if you will. I will. <laughs> um... And the second reason is because this movie was made in the 1970s, mm. which, if you know anything about Star Trek, is a sort of a Star Trek dead zone. Mm. So, um, as I have probably mentioned, this is a, uh, the process of finding... Okay, so first of all, I'll, I'll, there are no direct connections. I didn't expect there to be any. Nobody in this movie has been in Star Trek. I'm sure that doesn't surprise anybody. Nope, it doesn't surprise me one bit. So now the process of finding secondary connections is somewhat difficult. And uh, one of the things I tried to do was abuse a website called the Oracle of Bacon. <laughs> which is uh, designed originally to find connections between Kevin Bacon and other people. I, but I believe this is not the first time we've mentioned it. Yeah, you can pick any actor and try to connect it to. So I kept trying to connect actors in Star Trek to actors in this movie. And so... So wait, how did you use this? How did you use the Bacon, the Baconator? Okay, so you can replace Kevin Bacon with any actor, Oh, okay. Right? That you're able to do so that. So I went and picked an actor from Star Trek and then an actor from this movie and then tried to connect right. the two. So that must have been a pretty fucking tedious job. It is. And, you know, I kept getting these really long, convoluted, you know, like, you know, five-step and four-step and six-step, you know, doesn't, connections. At six, it's like, okay, doesn't everybody know everybody? It's like not really it's a thing, right? Degrees. So, but, you know, what I found was that all roads between Star Trek and this movie uh-huh. and the Godzilla in general, the Godzillaverse in general, mm-hmm. and I suppose Japanese cinema in general, uh-huh. they all go through a certain central nexus. And, and so this nexus is, is Toshiro Mifune. Who, I don't know who that is. Uh, you don't know who that is. Who is that? He is actually um, probably one of the most famous Japanese actors in history. Uh, he's been in 
16 Akira Kurosawa moves, movies, okay. Rashomon, Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, Throne of Blood, Yojimbo, etc. Okay. Uh, and yeah, he's been in a couple, uh, couple American movies too. Um, he was in Midway, okay, 1976 movie. Uh, he was in the uh, miniseries Shogun. He was in the oh, Steven yeah, Spielberg yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. 1941. I've seen his face before. Totally. Yeah. yeah look- um. Anyway, he's he's been in a ton of movies. Yeah. He's a super connector of of the Japanese film industry. So, um, the connection to this film, uh, I could be through many actors in this film, many crew members, but I'm gonna connect it through the uh, through the composer, <laughs> who we will discuss later. Indeed. In th- more thorough detail. Indeed. But the composer. Uh, for this movie, also worked on Yojimbo, who Toshiro Mufune was the star of. Oh, now, right. Okay. One thing you may not know about Toshiro Mufune, and one thing you may not know about Star Trek is, as I was mentioning, uh-huh. there was a dead period in Star Trek in sort of the 1970s, right? Yeah. Um, so what you may not know is that while there was no Star Trek or very little Star Trek being actually made in the 1970s, oh, no. there was a lot of Star Trek being attempted to be made. <laughs> no. And a movie was attempted to be made uh-huh. called Star Trek colon. Planet of the Titans. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Co-starring Toshiro Mufune. Why didn't they make it? So, why didn't they make it? Well, we'll get into that. Okay. Because this entire segment will be dedicated to talking about the void of Star Trek <laughs> in the 1970s and Star Trek Planet of the Titans. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> okay. So. Uh, those of you who know Star Trek may know that Star Trek, the original series, was canceled in 1969. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Star Trek, the original series, ended in 1969. And since basically that exact moment, uh, the great bird of the galaxy, Gene Ronberry himself, <laughs> had been trying to resurrect it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um and so he was somewhat successful in bringing a animated adaptation to the to TV called Star Trek the Animated Series from 1973 to 1974. Mm-hmm. Uh this is actually a really under underrated not not necessarily underrated because it's not necessarily that great. It's, it's overlooked, fine, I but, would say. But um it's overlooked. It's not necessarily talked about a lot. And and for a while, it wasn't really necessarily even considered to be canon. Uh, but, you know, it's Star Trek. So pretty much immediately after that show was again canceled in 1974, Gene Roddenberry decides to write or, uh, a script. For a film? Yes, for a film. He decides he wants to take Star Trek to the big screen. Fuck yeah. And so he, he writes a script called Star Trek The God Thing, which is not, <laughs> not a... this movie that we're talking okay. about that also didn't get made. Okay. The, it's called The God Thing? 
Star Trek colon the God thing. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds like they really get into some like philosophical territory there. Uh, yeah, they actually do. Actually, they get into pretty philosophical territory in Planet of the Titans. Okay, I'm excited. The plot of this movie involves like a bunch of weird shit, and there's an alien entity who thinks it's God, <laughs> and then uh. Yeah, there's some weird things. And it, the the idea kind of gets taken up again in uh in uh which one is it? Uh Star Trek 5. Yeah. Uh, well, I just it with Starship. What's the name of the fucking Star Trek 5? <laughs> is it the Final Frontier? Star Trek 5, The Final Frontier. Yeah, yes. Makes sense. Okay. Not a great movie. But yeah. Um so that movie gets sort of cancelled and re- the script is rejected for a r- variety of reasons. Presumably not the least of which is that Gene Roddenberry had never written a feature film before. Yeah, that'll do it. That will do <laughs> it. So, um, he figured, you know, you know, maybe I'll try again. I'll get another yeah, script. Yeah, just keep pumping them out. Eventually you'll get one that keep sticks. Keep pumping them out. So, but this time, you know, He's like, okay, you know, I- I'm gonna bring on some people who like actually know how to write a movie, what they're doing, because <laughs> I've never done it. Um, and so he brings on a couple people, and um, there are some treatments written. All right. And he brings on a guy named Chris Bryant and a guy named Alan Scott. Okay. They come up with this idea where eventually the Enterprise goes back in time. Awesome. And they teach uh, early man how to make fire. Less awesome. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of weird. Such, uh, they were that's such a lame way highly... to fucking use time travel. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, it, it was definitely supposed to be like more philosophical as you were. Right. Uh, hoping for yeah. <laughs> yeah and sort of it was uh it was kind of influenced by the idea of like 2001 a space odyssey and also the s- the snake with the tail in his mouth it's all circular and it's all also uh influenced by you know ancient aliens type theories <laughs> uh as espoused by uh eric von Dynakin in his uh famous book chariots of the gods yeah chariots of the gods question mark uh, which you may know if you've ever seen the History Channel uh, TV show Ancient Aliens. <laughs> and so eventually they bring on this guy named Philip Kaufman. Sounds like a familiar name. He did uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, with, you know, uh, other Star Trek alumnus, uh, Leonard Nimoy. Rest in peace. R.I.P. Um, and yeah, so at this point, the, uh, they start to write a role, uh, involving Toshiro Mufunai, <laughs> who is supposed to be the Klingon villain of the film. Oh, that would be so good. And it, it, it was supposed to have involved basically, um, 
Oh, that would have been the pre-makeup, though. Pre-Klingon makeup, so. Yeah, it would have been pre-Klingon makeup, although I think they might have had the idea for the Klingon makeup. Okay, so it uh, might not because have Because it, it actually came in shortly after this time. This is around, like, 1976, 1977, and in, I believe the Klingons with the makeups were first uh, introduced in Star Trek The Motion Picture, which came out in 1979. Okay, so it might have been, they might have... And so, I, like, I think the main reason why the Klingons didn't have makeup originally was mostly budgetary. Yeah, I'm sure that's why, yeah. Um, they used the same costume for every alien. They just re-fucking-sewed exactly. it. So anyway, so time. they... Kaufman uh, seems like kind of a strange guy, but uh, the idea was that it was supposed to have uh, basically Spock uh, going on a psychedelic trip Oh no! With Shira Mufune's character. Oh no! I changed my mind. Oh yes. <laughs> it was weird, and so then they they come up with this draft, and they uh, it actually gets really far in development. Yeah, because it's and fucking awesome. They uh, they eventually. You know, they, they're trying to look for a director, and then, you know, they, they talk to several, you know, famous directors such as uh, Cop, Florence Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and Robert Wise. Robert Wise, who you may know because he directed uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. Indeed. And, you know, a little movie called West Side Story as well. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um... And so, anyway, none of them ended up doing it. Uh, so Philip Kaufman decided he was going to write it himself. He was going to direct it himself. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so that's, and, that's where you it know, first went off the rails. Yeah. Did they start production, like, fully? Uh, well, so they, the thing is, they were having trouble figuring out whether or not um, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner were actually both going to be able to be in it. What? <laughs> What? Yeah. Was that so? Because... It's like obviously they would have definitely, definitely. You want to have them both in it. Yeah, of course. Did the shots not like if anybody be in is it? like completely necessity? It's those two. Yeah, if you're gonna, yeah, you can't leave. That's 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 the core. That's core cast. Yeah, and so yeah. Anyway, they ended up doing like why though? Uh, like why quite a did bit they... of why? What did that? Was why that an did option? they have? To not were they is it because they couldn't afford to or was it because like the shats well apparently didn't they were to? they were being sorry did the shats not want to uh, there was a disagreement over merchandising uh from Leonard Nimoy specifically oh from Nimoy really yeah from Nimoy interesting uh I think Shatner wasn't doing particularly well financially during this period so I think he was more than more than down to do it <laughs> so actually it was Leonard that was not down. <laughs> yeah um and so they they did actually quite a bit of development work like they did uh, a lot of concept art they brought on ralph mcquarrie who is a famous concept art designer who worked on star wars oh, they okay. did uh new designs for the enterprise they did uh, well, is there like did you find any concept art for it yeah i did i found um found some concept art for the enterprise that's pretty cool it looks kind of weird and like not enterprisey, so I'm glad that when they did actually eventually finally make a movie, that they uh, they went back to a similar design to what it was in the original series. That's pretty cool. Um, so we should post. But anyway, we should so, post a picture on Instagram when the, I, I when will. Yeah. Airs, um, yeah. 
Uh, so they... This movie seems to be rolling along swimmingly. Yeah. And they finished the awesome draft. it's awesome movie that was going to make millions and millions of dollars because it sounds awesome. It, it may well have. And so they bring it to Paramount. And they're like, okay, we're ready to make the movie. And then Paramount's like, you know what? Uh, the year is 1977. And <laughs> that uh, we're... The year is 1977. Uh, the year is 1977. And we're thinking, okay, there's this movie coming out uh, called Star Wars. And, you know, we don't think that, you know, science fiction fans will pay to go see two science fiction movies around the same time. That is bullshit. Yeah, that's so dumb. So it's, Star Wars was was the week that they pitched it, like they came up with the final Star draft Wars of the script. Star Wars was in theaters. Star Wars was about to come out. Right. And so they were going to go into production after that. So what's so the it wouldn't have come out around the same so time. So what's the problem? I don't understand. I don't know. I think it was just a cop-out to like be like, okay, we really don't want to make this movie, but we want to like give like Gene Roddenberry, like, we don't want to like hurt Roddenberry's <laughs> feelings. <laughs> Why? Why wouldn't they want to hurt his feelings? Why? Did... I don't know. That's weird. Like, I mean, imagine, imagine if that movie with that plot line with Leonard Nimoy and like tripping Mifune with, with like fucking Tishiro Mifune uh, in back in time times. And that's that's Star Trek's answer to Star Wars. <laughs> but anyway. Instead of fully canceling the movie, okay, they decided it would be a better t- idea to sort of make a TV show instead. Okay, so they rolled it into something called Star Trek Phase Two. Good name, good name. Which was supposed to be a uh, a 1970s TV series. Um, what happened? Um, they did a lot of work for Star Trek Phase Two, and they even like built sets and shit. And then they were like, ah, fuck it. Let's just make a movie instead. Oh, my God. And so then they took all that work for Star Trek Phase 2 and turned it into a movie again. And that is Star Trek The Motion Picture. Fuck me. Minus Tashiro Mifune. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> they just cut him out. Yeah. Well, I mean, he wasn't going to be in Star Trek Phase 2. He was only going to be in the movie. I don't think he would have signed on to do, like, a show. A Star Trek TV show. A full show. So, but yeah, eventually they did, I suppose, come up with a Star Trek Phase 2, but they just called it Star Trek The Next Generation. Worst one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was the void in Star Trek, and that is why there are very few connections with Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla, aside from a connection which is debatably even real. Hmm. Well... Thanks, everybody, for listening to our episode about Star Trek The Motion Picture, um, in which we talk about the history and production stories behind the movie Star Trek The Motion Picture. (laughs) (laughs) It was sort of a mini-episode. Well, I mean, it was mostly about Star Trek Planet of the Titans. We just sort of rolled it into Star Trek The Motion Picture. There's a lot more depth we could go into if we wanted to do that. I mean, I'm sure we'll do that episode at some point. How would we even do, like, uh, Six Years of Star Trek for... (laughs) That's... A Star Trek movie. That's a very good question. <laughs> um, Unless we wanted to like do a six degrees of Star Trek inside this six degrees of Star Trek. I don't know how that would work. And this is an excellent conversation that we'll have for a long time off air. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll get to it. <laughs> so, 
move. Uh, I suppose we've been back about Godzilla at this point. We've talked enough about Star Trek. Yeah, I think it's probably okay to go back to to the Zilla. Godzilla, Godzilla. Um, <laughs> for the sake of time, we'll skip over kind of the sixties, uh, early sixties. Um, but yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's nice to say you had a couple of Godzilla movies, which were you know. In a varying quality. Yeah. And, like, the idea by by later Godzilla, I think the idea that Godzilla was an, an important cultural icon, like, representing the fears uh, and, like, you know, the anguish of a nation or whatever, I think that was probably kind of t- short-lived. Um, yeah, that was done uh, <laughs> by the time we got to the 1970s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was long, long gone. After the success uh, of the first initial few Godzillas, the third installment, which we talked about, would see uh, good old Zilla facing off with his conceptual grandfather, King Kong. <laughs> Toho, Toho Studios began pumping those pumping those babies out um, like nobody's business. Yeah, between the years of 1962 and 1975. There were only two years free of a Godzilla film. Were there any years that they made multiple films? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not that I saw. Okay. <laughs> By the late 60s, uh, the budget, the effort, and the quality uh, had begun to noticeably decline. Um, by the early 70s, it was dire. Um, the monster movie <laughs> craze had come and gone. Uh, cultural implications, as we mentioned, topical references had dried up. Um, I think, I think, son of Godzilla. I think people had some Godzilla fatigue. Yeah, son of Godzilla, man. Son, you think that 1967, just killed it? son of Godzilla? I think was the end of Godzilla as we as the initial run. Um, y- you think it jumped the shark? Oh, fuck it, it leapt over the shark. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, what year did Fonzie jump the shark? Do you know? Oh, jeez. It's like the uh, eighth season or something. Anyway, we'll look that up. It's another another conversation. Um, in nineteen, 19- we'll talk about that when 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 Henry Winkler is on on the show. Yeah, when, when we he's have invited. he's got an open invitation. Henry Winkler, anytime, sir. Anytime he's got an open invitation. Anytime, Henry Winkler, if you want to come on. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Even with Ron Howard, that would be a great interview. Them together. <laughs> um, in 1973, the budget was again slashed. Um, standards for the effects were lowered to the fucking floor. Um, and like, honestly, at this point in the franchise, the focus was entirely shifted from making movies to merchandising. Yeah. Like, it's all just toys and branding, and that's, that's where the money is now. Enter the film we mentioned, um... Uh, way back at the beginning of the story, uh, Godzilla versus Megalon. Um, <laughs> the film that we mentioned that was described as incredibly, undeniably, mind-numbingly bad and one of the poorer moments in the history of Godzilla films. Yeah, um, that one? Yeah, that one, <laughs> that one yeah. Uh, Toho, that, that film bombed. 
And as we said, again, Naturally. as we said, it made the least, um, it made, well, I don't know if we mentioned it last time, but it, um, it made the least money of any Godzilla movie to date. So, like, Toho was in a pretty rough place. Um, and coming up quickly was 1974, which was the 20th anniversary of Godzilla. Um, so they needed something big uh, to commemorate it. Um, and big did they go. <laughs> and, and, and as I said, they were, they were desperate to mint new monsters to merchandise because the hype was beginning to die. Well, beginning to die down. The hype had died down. Um, like, in fact, one of the original story writers uh, of the franchise, um, when, when he was, like, told they needed another monster um, for, uh, for the 20th anniversary, um, he said, he shrugged in despair, saying, there aren't any monsters left. <laughs> so, instead of a monster... <laughs> well, so, yeah, so, what was Toho Studios' answer? What was their answer to this massive conundrum? What's not a monster, but like almost like a monster? Fucking giant kick ass, f giant fucking robot, Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also, aliens. Uh, aliens and a giant fucking robot. <laughs> a giant fucking robot made of space titanium. Fucking went all out. So good. <laughs> Yeah, with with rocket fingers. Yep. Uh. So yeah. So they they went ahead and uh, they sort of made this this uh, movie, but there's there's a little bit more depth to it, I think, than you know you might initially think. Go on. Based on the fact that they wanted to just get to the a big monster bash for the 20th anniversary of Godzilla, because there's actually some historical context to this. Do go on. So, um, if you know, in the beginning of the movie, uh, the, it, it starts in not Japan proper, but Okinawa. Okinawa. Yes. And so interestingly enough, only two years earlier had, uh, had Okinawa actually been returned to Japan from being basically under U.S. occupation? The Americans got out of mainland Japan in, like, the 50s, but, yeah, they stayed in Okinawa until 1972. Um, yeah. And, that, and they only got out because, like, tensions were getting really fucking high. Like, there was a riot, um, a huge yeah. riot in 1970, I think. And I, I think it's interesting that, you know, the aliens kind of land in this cave in okinawa right and they uh they they bring forth this uh this uh monster from from mount fuji to come and like sort of wreak havoc on japan <laughs> i like i don't know what it's, it's exactly what are you trying to, trying to get at uh because like obviously i i'm not exactly sure i i i'm fully tapped into what the uh the cultural uh feelings of the time were there really but you're, you know you're not tapped into the pulse of I'm 1970s not tapped into that. okinawa culture <laughs> but there, there yeah there was definitely some uh i think they were trying to tap into some kind of you know topical 
uh thing <laughs> yeah there's definitely yeah i'm not sure what they were going for no it's it's a bit loose but there's definitely the fact that it was on okinawa and you know you've got the caesar which is like the ancient like ancient monster who's been around long before godzilla was even you know awoken yeah i don't know it's it's kind it's not a it's a kind of a tenuous connection. <laughs> it's it, it I think they were trying to go for something, but I I don't think they necessarily hit it. That's like maybe, perhaps we lost something, and I'm sure we'll go into this a bit later. Yeah, um, I I think dub. there was a little bit that that we lost being sort of like a seeing a translation. Yeah. And be uh, just not really knowing, understanding the cultural nuances. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, obviously, we're I'm probably not the best to analyze this particular bit of it, but I, I just thought it was interesting to note that you know, it was there, and and there was some tension. I think they were trying to explore. Yeah. 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 It is interesting. That brings us right up to uh, to 1974. Yeah, where we come to this battle of the ages. <laughs> Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. <laughs> Warn you. You mean like now? <laughs> All right. All right. Um battle of ages <laughs> so there's there's a lot to unpack with this movie yeah there's a, there's a lot going on um so but i think now would be kind of a a good time to sort of uh i guess wind it down and come back to you next week what do you think yeah yeah i think so all right so um yeah i hope you guys enjoyed the uh podcast this week yeah. Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Yes, and we will be coming back at you, sorry? I was just gonna that's what I was gonna say with the the, the battle. We will return with the details on the battle and some more details on the uh on the actual movie, as well as yeah. um, you know. Uh d- don't worry, we haven't forgotten about um you know trying to find a delicate way to say this. The facts. Something that is Oh the so what kind of facts? Thing, Do you, are, are you asking me to play the thing? No, no, no. Indisputable facts. <laughs> okay. We'll talk about the that. The indisputable <laughs> facts, you mean the truth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll get to the bottom of it. We'll get to the truth. Uh, we will get to, uh, you know, some production details. More production details. We've already got some. Yeah. Uh, and we will talk some more about some music. And with that, I suppose I will play us out and... I guess we'll see you next week. Next week. Kurai <laughs> yoru